going to introduce the episode. <laughs> we did not. Welcome to Sweet Tea and D&D. There you go. we're goddamn professionals. Professional. We've got... You don't even know. Have we got like a year of experience doing this yet? I feel like we have. I mean, yeah. No, maybe. No. I mean, you would think so. I don't know. Yes. October was a year. Was it? Yes. We've been doing this a year. Thanks for listening and listening to our baffling bullshit. Listening to a suck ass on the radio. We're professionals. (laughs) So, do you want to go first or would you like me to? Uh, it don't matter. Do you want um, me to crush your soul with this creature? No, how about we'll do mine first and then we'll do your soul crushing monster. Do it. All right, so my monster is from Volo's Guide to Monsters. It is on page 135 and it is the Deep Scion. And how deep is it? How deep is it? Um, it chills pretty deep down there, way at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Way at the bottom. Uh, so, ju- it's terrifying to look at. It's oh a... God. Yeah. Very alien-esque. Uh, yeah. A very, like, alien... Or I, I got more of a predator vibe because of the long tendrils that it has on it. They remind me of the Displacer Beast uh, yes. tendrils. Or, I don't know what those are. And then it has, like, this Tentacles. huge open gall that... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. You could fit a whole melon. It reminds in me of like an anglerfish almost. Without the cool light on its head. Um, but with like the displacer tendrils for hair and like boots that are they're not boots, but they have fins on them. So does, does it have a swim speed? Uh no. It does. Oh, it does. It does. Twenty feet and swim forty feet in hybrid form. Damn. Oh, it's, it's it switches. This should be great. It's, this is a shapeshifter. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, Feel those sweet It's so... Me. Okay. So, before I get into the flavor text, did you ever watch... Um, Are you going to make me say a movie I've not seen before? Maybe. I don't know your life. Um, did you ever watch Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. Okay. Do you remember uh, Davy Jones and how he would go to the people and like ask them if they wanted to die or not, right? Vaguely, yes. Okay, so like if if they did I, it, the only thing if they I were really... like, no, then they had to sign a contract with him, and they became one of his crew of people, right? Yes. The and only they... thing I remember is I got a jar of dirt. Okay, and they, you know they slowly turned into like crustaceans, s- like sea creatures. Yes. Kind of the same vibe here with the deep scions. So deep scions began life as people who were stolen from shore or saved from sinking ships and offered a terrible bargain by an undersea power: surrender body. And soul or drown. Those who submit are subjected to an ancient ritual widespread among evil aquatic creatures. Its methods are painful and the result never certain. But when it works, the magic transforms an air-breathing person into a shape changer that can take a form that is fully at home beneath the waves. That's awesome. This looks like a sweet-ass sea campaign adventure. I, It's terrifying. Because it don't... Okay, so... One real quick question is, you don't always have to look like this. I bet its cheeks cause drag resistance in the water. Only if it's open. (laughs) Only if it's like, ah! It just (laughs) swims with its mouth agape. But, you know, with that one paragraph, I would think you don't have to look the way you look in this picture. Not that you would look beautiful, but you could have different abilities. Look how you feel. (laughs) Feel how you look. Well, I remember in Pirates of the Caribbean, some of them even look like coral. 
That's or, true. And stuff like that. So, you know, who it's knows? Technically a sea creature. Or it was until it hardened into a shell. Eh, whatever. <laughs> the circle of life. Um, a deep scion emerges from its depths in from the depths in service to his underwater master, which is likely a kraken or some other ancient being of the deep. While wearing the mind and body of the person it once was as a sort of mask, the creature is bent on fulfilling its master's desires. Sometimes a deep scion returns to its former home and a hero's welcome, unexpectedly found alive when all hope was lost. At other times, the deep scion takes on a new identity. In any case, it is the deep scion's duty to infiltrate the air-breathing world and report back to its master. When set to its task, a deep scion worms its way into the life of an unsuspecting enemy as a new best friend, an irresistible lover, the perfect candidate for a job, or in some other role that enables the minion to carry out its master's demands. All shapeshifters are sneaky. I mean, it, I feel kind of like with the, um, a lot of our other monsters we've done kind of work in tandem like that. Like, they either are the over, overlords or they are the subservient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of things, avenues to take with with that. Yeah. There's just a lot of weird shit in the water in D&D. Just don't go in. That's my motto. That's why I don't like beaches. But you know, it makes me wonder why it took so long to get like a good water campaign, like pre-written. Oh, like the salt marshes one? Yeah. Yeah. The rules in D&D prior to that for ocean was just like naval battles and stuff like that were real rough. Oh, yeah. They didn't exist until that book, really. I mean, we knew. We tried to do stuff on water, and it was really hard. (laughs) It it was a lot of touch and and go. You know, you do what you do. (laughs) Okay. The training to which a deep scion is subjected rids it of empathy for those whom it spies on. Though one might behave as though infatuated, laugh at a joke of a friend, or appear incensed at some injustice. Yeah. Each of these acts is artificial to the deep Zion, a a means to an end. It believes that its true form is the shape it takes when it returns to the sea that it thinks of as home. Ironically, however, a deep Zion that is killed when in its... I don't know how to say this word. Piscine? Piscine? Pisces, when Pisces. Fish. I, well, I know what it meant. Right. I just didn't know how to like say it. Pisces. Like Pisces. When it's in its Pisces form, that toothpaced bitch. <laughs> when oh, wait, no, that's Gemini. I don't know. When it's a little fish. It's a little fishy. Uh, it's stripped of the magic that robbed it of emotion, leaving behind the corpse of the person the deep scion once was. Once was. So that'd be sad. Like, you kill this this thing, and it's like, oh, shit. That was Fred. Oh, no. <laughs> Killed him. Sorry, Fred. He was the town hero after dying in that shipwreck, and we murdered him. But little did we know, he was a fish... Out of water. ...sucking... Mm. <laughs> Piscine... <laughs> Bitch. Yeah. Treacherous right. two-faced liar. This big-faced... Okay, um, the deep scion is a medium humanoid shape-changer and is a neutral evil. Has armor class of 11, has hit points starting at 67 up to... Uh, a little over 100. I can't do that math. <laughs> Has a walking speed of 30 feet, uh, 20 feet, and swim 40 feet in hybrid form. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it has a pretty balanced stat block. Its strength is 18 and plus 4. Dex at 13 plus 1. Con is 16 with a plus 3. The intelligence is 10 with a plus 0. Wisdom 12 with a plus 1. And charisma 14 with a plus 2. Saving throws is a wisdom plus three and charisma plus four. 
skills are deception with a plus six insight with a plus three sleight of hand with a plus three three stealth plus three uh senses with dark vision up to 120 feet and a passive perception of 11 speaks aquan common and thieves can't pretty dope i do wonder it's kind of weird um i do wonder about like languages it knew in life I'd give it to it if it had them in the past. It says it doesn't forget who it was, so I might as well. I mean, if it has to pick up a life, like, and, and resume its old life, you would assume it would know the languages it knew in life. Definitely. I'd give it that. I would give it that, too. Um, um, it is a CR3, so it's not that challenging with 700 XP. Uh, it has a shape changer feet. The deep scion can use its action to polymorph into a humanoid, piscine, hybrid form, or back into its true form. Its statistics, other than its speed, are the same in each form. Any equipment it is wearing or carrying isn't transformed. The deep scion reverts to its true form if it dies. It is amphibious. It can breathe air and water. It has a multi-attack in humanoid form. The deep scion makes two melee attacks. In hybrid form, the deep scion makes three attacks. One with its bite and two with its claws. That would leave a weird scar. It would be the worst and hardest episode of like CSI. What cool. killed it? Nobody knows. Um, D&D CSI would be a cool thing to do. Just holy go throw that out fuck. There. It would be so hard. That would be like a monster of the week. Your investigators whose job it is to find the killer and then bring them to justice. And by that, I mean murder them. <laughs> that is evidence. <laughs> I just... Monster of the week. What that do we have, Scully? We we have a deep scion. Um, it has a battle axe attack or battle axe action in its humanoid form only. It's a melee weapon attack with a plus six to hit a reach of five feet with one target. On a hit, it is it does eight up to twelve slashing damage, or nine up to fourteen slashing damage if used with two hands. The bite in the hybrid form only is a melee weapon attack with a plus six to hit. A reach of five feet for one creature on a hit, it does six up to eight piercing damage. Also has the claw in the hybrid form only, a melee weapon attack plus six to hit. A reach of five feet, one target. On a hit, it does seven up to ten slashing damage. And finally, it has something called Psychic Screech, hybrid form only, recharges after a short or long rest. The Deep Scion emits a terrible scream audible within 300 feet. Creatures within 30 feet of the Deep Scion must succeed on a DC 13 wisdom saving throw or be stunned until the end of the Deep Scion's next turn. In water, the Psychic Screech also telepathically transmits the Deep Scion's memories of the last 24 hours to its master, regardless of distance, so long as it, so long as it and its master are in the same body of water. That's... An interesting means of communication. Right. Shove your head in the water and go. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be cool, especially if like the mission is for this deep scion to get a message to someone you have to try and stop them. I could see like a, it doesn't look like a nice God made it right. Or a nice creature. It's a Kraken. Those are usually a Kraken. Like, I mean, we've talked nice about Kraken. Yeah. I was going to say, like, what if, like, one of your things as a goal was to get a scion to the body of water they need to be? Like, what if they're like, I need to return home to see my wife's tomb or whatever, her gravesite or whatever. It's by the ocean. 
She'd love to be buried there. Or it and could they be... just walk into the ocean and just scream to their master. Well, like, you would think it'd be, like, this old man, and then you, you're just helping this old man get to the, the beach because he's old, and then he gets there, like, mutates into this fucking nightmare fuel, and <laughs> then screams into the ocean. Yeah. It's like, uh, what, 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 what did I just do? it has to be a specific form, right? Um, hybrid form only. Oh damn! So they would have to shape change. Yeah, and Just then to scream into the ocean. I too also shape change when I scream in the ocean. But wouldn't that be? I don't know. I feel like it'd be something interesting for them to see. It doesn't even have to be part of the main quest. It'd be something just to add in. Yeah. Every now and then, Paul just goes to the beach to scream. To the <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready to learn about the Marut? You said it was quite a handful, so oh, I... Oh, it's going to fuck you up. I'm ready. All right, so this is a nigh unstoppable inevitable that serves a singular purpose to enforce contracts forged in the Hall of Concordance and the City of Sigil. Primus, the leader of the Modrons, this is going back to our fun Modrons episode where I oh, forgot I to miss draw the Modrons. wings on a flying creature. We still have to finish those. <laughs> No, we don't. Uh, yeah, we did. So, oh, I thought you meant the doodles. I'm like, I'm not doodling again. Oh, no, 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 no. Just we only did two of them. There are three yes. more. Yes. So it was they were created, created merits and other inevitables to bring order to dealings between planar folks. Many creatures, including Yugoloths, will enter into a contract with inevitables if asked. They are cosmic enforcers, meaning they're going to fuck you up. They are in Mordekainen's Tomafo on page two thirteen. Uh, I would describe them... Okay, you've seen Megamind, right? Yes. Do you remember the suit the fish wears voiced by David Cross? Yes. Okay, imagine that, but instead of a fish, it's a creepy eye. Oh, goodness. About the size of the fish. And it has... Um, one of the satellites we sent into space have like a disc of a bunch of information about Earth and humans on it. Oh. It's like that, but I'll tell you what that disc is in a second. It's a cosmic enforcer, because it's going to really fuck you up if you break its laws. Uh, so, in the Hall of Concordance is an embassy of pure law and sigil, the city of doors. In the hall, two parties who agree to mutual terms and who pay the requisite gold to the Kaliarit, a mechanical engine of absolute jurisprudence, can have their contract chiseled into a sheet of gold that is placed on the chest of a merit. Uh... I've probably said, like, three different pronunciations of this. Choose your own adventure, whichever one you want. You know... It's M A R U T, guys. Merit. We're Marut. doing our we're doing our best. <laughs> Margaret. Uh, uh, they can have the contract chiseled on the sheet of gold and placed into the chest of the creature. From that moment until the contract is fulfilled, the marriage is bound to enforce its terms and to punish any party who breaks them. A merit resorts to lethal force only when a contract calls for it, when the contract is fully broken, and when the merit is attacked. Word is law, meaning it is inevitables care nothing for the spirit of an agreement, only the letter. A merit enforces what is written, not what is meant by or supposed to be understood from the writing. The Kaliar rejects contracts that contain vague, contradictory, or unenforceable terms. Beyond that, it doesn't care whether both parties understand what they're agreeing to. A small army of solicitors waits outside of the Hall of Concordance, eager to sell their expertise in the crafting or vetting of contracts. Uh, they are constructs in nature, so they don't require air, food, drink, or sleep. Um, it's a large a construct. Um, for its description on the side, it just says inevitable. 
So good luck with that one. It is lawful neutral. Yeah, inevitable. That's the description. Just in inevitable. parentheses, just casually placed there. Yeah. Inevitable. What the what the <laughs> fuck does that even mean? They're inevitable. I don't know what that it's means. Inevitable. I have no idea. I just like saying inevitable. Okay. I was like, um, does that mean something in D D land that I'm not I'm not of? familiar with the history of Sigil Primus or the City of Doors. I have to look it up. So one, large construct, ready to fuck you up. Armor class, twenty two natural hit points 432 for a maximum of 576 you're going to die yeah they have a speed of 40 feet and a fly speed of 30 and it has tiny little wings on the side because i guess i mean i'm assuming it can just fly by pure law but the law of gravity but its it's speed is justice (laughs) (laughs) here's where it gets bad it has a strength of 28 and a plus 9. It has a dex of 12 and a plus 1. A con of 26 and a plus 8. An intelligence of 19 and a plus 4. It wow. knows the goddamn law. Wisdom of 15 and a plus 2. And charisma. Char- charisma. That's a new one. <laughs> it's a new stat. Don't question it. Charisma, 18 and a plus 4. Wow. It's pretty stacked. Now, it has a plus 12 to intelligence and charisma saving throws and a plus 10 to wisdom. Its skills include an insight of plus 10, an intimidation of plus 12, and a perception of plus 10. Oh, it'd be snooping. It'd also be scary. Oh my god. It is resistant to thunder, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. It is immune to poison. Um, it Condition immunities are charmed, frightened, paralyzed, poisonous, and unconscious. Because it's ever-knowing and full of hate. Or full of logic i guess um it senses is dark vision with a passive perception of fuck you 20 because it sees most things <laughs> it's languages all but rarely speaks it's got things the to fuck think. like it's got things to think oh here's your so point. if you get approached by one of these bad boys and it doesn't speak how the hell am i supposed to know what it wants i'll tell you oh, okay to know what it wants it uses one of its actions oh no the merit targets up to two creatures it can see within 60 feet of it each target must succeed on a DC 20 charisma saving throw or be teleported to the teleportation circle in the Hall of Concordance and Sigil. A target fails automatically if it is unconscious or incapacitated. Shit. If either target is teleported in this way, the Marut teleports with it to the circle. After teleporting in this way, the Marut can't use this action again until it finishes a short or long rest. So it's going to take you to court. It's like the worst way to be served. Ever. It's like a bail bondsman. I was thinking like dog the bounty hunter or something. No, it will. If I give this thing a trashy mullet, will it t- you know take me to Hawaii and make me go to jail? Uh, I've not uh, seen dog the bounty hunter. You know, man. Is his wife dead? Uh, she did pass. I'm sorry about that. But dog, he, I don't know who you are, but dog the bounty hunter. I mean, there's I don't I don't have any bad will against the guy. His. We There's somebody. Town. It's not a trashy town. It's just somebody you showing how big their neighbor. penis is. And it's very small. Wow! <laughs> I had a big penis. Um. <laughs> ah, I'm compensating. Uh, carry on. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. Um, law. Bo- Dog the bounty hunter. Oh yeah. Um, if <laughs> I feel okay, so maybe I don't know the true authority of bounty hunters, but. If I was at Walmart and Dog the Bounty Hunter ran into me and was like, we're going to take you in, and he tries to handcuff me, I'm going to say, fuck off, because you're not a cop. 
I'm making a citizen's arrest. And I'm like, every every episode, I'm like, he's not a cop. He can't take you to jail. Like, he's just a bail bondsman. He has no actual authority. I am not. I've never been arrested, nor have I been wanted. For but like, a crime. okay, maybe I'm wrong. But I didn't think that they had actual like. I don't think so. If psychics taught me anything, they're just glorified vigilante assholes. But I don't know how. I don't know. I should. Was. I should totally like look at stuff. But you should Google that. Maybe it's worth the Google. Or ask Dog himself. All you gotta do is commit a crime and avoid your bail. Dear Dog the Bounty Hunter, how do we meet? You should be a Marut. (laughs) Yeah. Can you cast teleport whenever you want? Can we put laws and contracts emblazoned in gold on your chest? Yes. You can wear it like a clock, like Flavor Flav. No, maybe we could do it in suntan lotion. So it's like, it's it's tanned on him. (laughs) And it's written on his chest. His his tan golden chest. (laughs) Okay. I'm not familiar with this tan golden chest. We will have to Google it and I will show you his tan golden chest. Okay. All right, here's some fun. The Marut is immune to any spell or effects that would alter its form, so it cannot be polymorphed or true polymorphed. Oh. Um, it has an innate spellcasting ability of intelligence with a spell save DC of 20. It can innately cast the following spells requiring Shit. no material components. At will, plane shift, self only. It can just be like, fuck you, I'm going over here, I'm going over here, I'm going over here. Um, I think plane shift has a time requirement on it. I'm not a 100% sure on that one. Look it up. Check it out. This thing can do it a lot. It has legendary resistances three times a day. If it feels like it, it never failed that saving throw. You're wrong. Uh, it is resistant for magic, so it has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magic effects. And you can't polymorph it, so don't even burp. try. And um, this one's fun. So, as a multi-attack, the Merit makes two slam attacks. Uh, one thing they kind of missed in the slam terminology here is that um, the slam is actually called the unerring slam. Melee weapon attack. Attack. Automatic hit. Oh, dang it. Reach five feet. One target. Hits 60 force damage. And the target is pushed up to five feet away from the merit and it's huge or smaller. So this large creature can hit something and knock it back five feet. And it will auto hit. For 60 force damage. Um, the next thing it has is called the Blazing Edict. Or recharges on a 5 and a 6. Arcane energy emanates from the Merit's chest in a 60 foot cube. Every creature in that area takes 45 radiant damage. Each creature that takes any of this damage must succeed on a DC 20 wisdom, wisdom, wisdom saving throw. Or be stunned until the end of the Merit's next turn. And because it would be stunned, I believe that means it's incapacitated and it can teleport you easier. I feel like this monster is built for you to fail. <laughs> oh, it's built to take your ass to court. It's it's like the best RoboCop. It's, I don't, man. I think this would be something. So here's how I pictured this coming in. Let's say a warlock made some shitty not the war the warlock made a deal yes but let's say patrons and gods got involved in making contracts mm. i like to think that at one point like there's a lot of lore where gods date each other and just do some weird stuff read greek mythology it's horrible most of greek mythology is zeus can't keep it in his pants but with that in mind like i see it as maybe your patron or maybe your deity that you worship 
had a contract somewhere signed that they got the uh, Primus involved, or not the Primus, the Caliarite involved in, mm. and you accidentally violated it. And so maybe it was like, you may not hurt anybody who serves this person. And like, let's say there's two gods that maybe they dated and to protect their followers, one of the, the, they weren't allowed to hurt each other. But by chance, you accidentally hurt somebody, whether that's in combat, you poked them as you were walking by, something weird happened that caused you to accidentally hurt them or intentionally hurt them. And out of nowhere, this thing comes out and just goes, time to go to the time police, beats the shit out of you and teleports you back to a temple where you're stuck waiting for a second while it goes and just kind of plane shift again and this time comes back with your actual deity going your child did a thing a bad thing and i just think it would be fun to take you and your god to court i kind of see my immediate reaction was like this thing's looking for a bard that deflowered some sort of sacrificial virgin or something like that oh shit that'd be good like and then so they <laughs> so somehow he has to like find another virgin like it could begin a, a quest for him yeah like you have to find a replacement virgin that would be hilarious like what you had a bard who is very lecherous or something who had a contract with one of these beings that these would never be deflowered but the bard was such a smooth talker i rolled a natural 20 to seduce like okay God's angry with you, and so are the time police. And like, so, I could see it being something really cool. It's also something very scary. It could also be something like, you know, the rogue, the rogue in this one city, the fucking crime is forbidden. And if you were caught committing a crime, these will automatically, like, come after you. Oh, that would suck so hard, especially in, like, the sigil or the city of doors. Mm-hmm. They're probably just like, we serve the city of contracts. And, like, these things would probably roam around to prevent you from doing anything he just like are patrolling the streets and and such mm. unerring slam how fucked are you imagine a poor wizard who has Some... a, a d6 a d6 hit die if you made maximum and you had a con of zero which you shouldn't you're a wizard you should have a higher con than that but if you had let's say you were level four that it could completely you... murder anyone like it, oh, with a yeah. single hit. 60 force damage, a little wizard, a level 10 wizard with no con modifier would be unconscious. That's if they rolled maximum of all their hit die. But then again, you think of all the other stuff this thing can do. And look look at its freaking armor class. 22. You ain't hitting that. I mean, you no could, one's... It'd be hard. It, it'd be so hard. Yes. It'd be next to impossible. Especially for a low-level party. Yeah, this coming up against a low-level party would be a fun way to scare the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. As long as you gave them the opportunity to role-play and kind of work their way out of it. I don't see these necessarily being a monster. I see these being almost like NPCs. Like, they have a collected bit of information, and that's really it. You're not really meant to fight them. They're meant to serve a different purpose kind of in the game. Maybe like the thing would be you see one that's inactive and you get to read the disc on its chest and you get to see an old contract that's been in place for millennia. Or maybe you find like maybe as your dungeon, you know, going through a dungeon, you accidentally release one. For so yeah, something like it's been it's been working and has just been trapped in this room and you let it out and it finds somebody. Yeah. 
that broke a contract. Yeah. Oh, it's so fucked up. Like, it's just because they, they don't they don't need food, air, or sleep, so they could just keep going. So they if you trapped it. Shift and just... Oh, that's true. I forgot about plane shift. I was thinking, I, I was treating it, well, I was treating it as a regular automaton. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, goodness. This thing will oh, it's fuck up your whole up. world. It's, it's, it's a, it's a server. Yeah. Civil server. who's just like, are you so-and-so? You're coming with me. Or, yeah. All right. So for our magic item this week. Yeah. Speaking of elder tours, this isn't an elder tour. That was a construct, but this came from, um, patreon.com slash trinkets this is from tavern of trinkets um i found this on tumblr but you can check their patreon out as well this is the knocker of aberrant passage it's a wondrous item and it's very rare wondrous so it is an old door knocker fashioned to resemble the face of an eldritch creature it is cold to the touch this door knocker allows you to call on the powers of the far realm to create a shortcut between two points of the same plane of existence while attuned to this item, you can use an action to press it against a flat surface and knock three times, naming a location you are familiar with on the same plane of existence. On the third knock, the lock, the locker, the knocker attaches itself to the surface. So I guess you kind of have to hold it and knock at the same time. Maybe one person holds it and knocks, somebody else knocks. Or, I mean, you can use both hands and one hand to hold it and one hand yeah, to knock. Yeah, it just looks weird. Whatever. Your items kick ass anyways. On the third knock, the knocker attaches itself to the surface. Tentacles start to emerge from it, growing in the doorway. The door takes one minute to fully form and cannot be opened before that. On an identical doorway grows on a randomly determined surface near the location you named. The door has a size by six by three feet and... The door opens into an organic hallway that stretches 60 feet and ends in the exit door. I like to imagine tentacles, tentacles everywhere. And uh, any creature that enters the hallway is exposed to eldritch forces and must make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw. Hmm. A failed target or a failed save results in 8d6 psychic damage uh, and have as much on a successful one. Warlocks of the great old one pact are unaffected. The hallway remains for a total of one minute after which both doors, including the knocker, crumble into dust and any creature that are still inside are expelled out of a randomly determined door. The knocker reappears near the creature it is attuned to after 1d8 hours. So it's, it, I see it as kind of a lower level teleportation ability once per day. If the ca- characters have like, maybe you just don't have somebody in the party who has the ability to learn s- teleportation circle. And so you're just like, I'll give you this door knocker, but somebody's going to get psychically wounded from it as they use it. I kind of feel like if you failed to save, it should spit you out. Back at the other door? Yeah. So would you be able to re-enter or would you be done after that? Well, once it does that, it disintegrates, right? You have a minute. Well, I think if you fail, it would just like whoosh, and just shut. Ooh. Mm. That or I would you'd have to wait like six seconds and try again yeah and if you fail over the downside is if you keep going back you take more psychic damage. yeah you might just die trying to yeah. get through this hallway so of drag horrors. your ass through the hallway <laughs> the 60 foot long hallway of just like God damn it, of just weak bitch, of, i mean just of scariness i just wonder what it's like like how would i describe that as a dm going through this because it's, it's got to be something obviously shocking mm-hmm. that is going to mess you up mentally to see it i think it was kind of like Maybe somebody getting eviscerated or split in from the outside. Maybe some like um, some good old Dante imagery where he's just like, I carved him from his ass to his mouth and just like 
Um, I think of, you probably never read it. Did you ever read The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Yes. Okay, so you remember when they're going through the black part of the sea? No. They just like enter into this shadow part of it, right? So they're going from island to island looking for these five guys who set off to do whatever. <clears throat> and they find this one guy in the dark part of the ocean. It's just like a black hole. And they go through it and they talk about how terrible it is. And you just hear like whispers and disembodied voices and they, they start naming things about you and telling things to you and almost like dementors, like stealing your happiness and uh, <laughs> that type of stuff. It's just like taxes. <laughs> Student loans. Oh, fuck. Oh, that hurts more. I just took 86. <laughs> damn it. Oh, it hurt. All right. So. For our DM tip, just the tips. We're gonna talk about the concept of HP, hit points. Or I always thought it was health points, but health I was told points. today it's hit points. Hit points, health points, potato, potato. So, the the article we're looking at here is DM tips describing combat and hit points. This is from Ipsimus Arcanus, Arcanus, however you want to pronounce it. Um, this is from 2017, uh, posted on Dungeon Masters Workshop. I found it on Pinterest. She found it on Pinterest, but it's from Dungeon Masters Workshop. Yeah. If that helps. So, um, one of the things that's always kind of been a talking point and it's, it's a difficult thing to conceptualize is hit points. And so essentially it's a, it's not like how many hits can you take? It kind of was a long time ago depending on which version, not like in D&D, Gygax would tell you no. And I'm going to give you a quote about that in just a moment. But essentially, it's how much punishment you can take before dropping. And a combination of physical and mental durability, the will to live, and luck. They are deliberately abstract as they allow for the DM's freedom to and how they describe effects that alter hit points. Yep. So psychic damage, physical cutting, and everything like that. It's your job to kind of describe the scene as it is. So... It is usually the case that more vague the description, the more emphatically people cleave to arbitrary elements of the definition. And this has led many people to treat hit points as the number of times I can be stabbed. (laughs) This is ironic because of all the conceptualization of hit points. This is the one that's wrong. Gary Gygax himself said it. So this is a quote from Gary. Gygax. Oh, 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 Gare Bear. <laughs> May you rest in peace. It is quite unreasonable to assume that as a character gains level of ability in his or her class, that a corresponding gain in actual ability to sustain physical damage takes place. It is preposterous to state such an assumption. For if we are to assume that a man is killed by a sword thrust which does four points of damage, would be similarly assumed that a hero could, on average, withstand five such thrusts from being slain. When they... Why then the increase in hit points? Because these reflect both the actual physical ability of the character to withstand damage as indicated by constitution bonuses and a commiserate increase in such area as skills and combat, similar uh, life or death situations at sixth sense, which warns the individual of some otherwise unforeseen events, sheer luck or fantastic provisions of magical protection and or divine protection. Um, so hit points is kind of misleading. Hit points refer specifically to the hit-miss game mechanic used to measure the success of an attack. So since then, it's kind of been conflated with that. But now we're looking at how are you dealing with this damage? What is the sign on your body? What are the signs of what you've done to combat this as a character? And how you describe it as a DM? So 
Generally, you'd think of a hit as me physically harming you, which would be stabbing, slashing, burning, crushing, freezing, poisoning, you name it, and you get hurt. Um, but you can also consider this to be um, psychic damage or anything like that. Anything that reduces your constitution. Yeah. And for that, um, you might say... Um, you would say when you hit something that some contact occurred, right? But generally, it can be assumed that as long as your target has one hit point remaining, a hit represents an attack that was turned away, either causing superficial damage or leaving the target more exhausted for having avoided it. Often, a way that we can determine this is based on the damage dealt. So, what this is describing is you have enough hit points to keep taking cuts and bruises and everything to the point where you can no longer withstand the damage mentally and physically yeah it's not you were cut into pieces it's not like the night because that's how you fall unconscious yeah you just your body's no longer you your brain cannot keep your body standing anymore you have to fall yeah and this comes to damage which is how much is done in what form is it yeah and how does that affect your character so damage is the third element of this party system or of this three-part combat system. It is a measure of how effective a successful attack was. How much did you exhaust the other person? Yeah. So was the measure successful, effective? How did the attack perform? And also, what did that cause your character to do? So did it force the duelist to reveal his best repost or leave him with a scar on his cheek? Did it drive the orc back a pace of the ferocity of the strike or even knock him on his knees? Did it find a gap in the dragon scales or knock one of its legs out from underneath it? How would you describe the effect or knocking of this person's will down? Did the rogue get caught in the flames of a dragon breath or roll beneath it only to suffer a searing heat? Maybe they used evasion, those cheeky bastards. (laughs) Did the final blow simply nick an artery causing death by sudden blood loss or did the blade slide between the enemy's ribs and pierce his heart? These are all representations of varying levels of damage. It's important to recognize kind of the abstract measure of these and how to how to approach it in terms of a narrative it's something that you have to learn it's not easy to to kind of give the full visual and grasp of what an attack does to someone because even if you have a really great attack but you roll low hit dice it i always felt kind of cheated it's like what the fuck like I have a D10 for my attack and it's like, I got a one. Yeah. So it's like, how do you describe that? How, how are you taking a successful attack, a successful hit, but it does one damage or does really light damage. It's like, how are you narrating this? Cause it's not the same if I hit them and got max damage or if I critically, critically hit them, you know, you have to know how to narrate the difference. What is that difference? What does it look like on the character? the the monster and the environment yeah one and i'm guilty of this in the terms of whenever i'm doing some type of physical attack i will say they're bloody they're bleeding you cut them here you did this here no one technically tells me like a called shot would require a higher dc right to hit but if you're looking at like let's say i'm just gonna slice them you gash them across the chest you start to see blood pulling on their clothes Cool, that would describe the damage if it's bad enough. Yeah. But let's say, for example, your D10 dice with a battle axe or that's not a D10. Something. Whatever mm-hmm. is a D10. A longbow has a D10. Um, you were shooting them. You managed to 
hit them, it it might pierce their shield because they prepared for it, and it might stick them in the arm versus you saw an open shot, you did a great shot at it, you know you were going to hit your target, but their reflexes stopped it and reduced yeah. the damage. Like, if you get a 23 to hit, not natural, let's say yeah. this, you get like a 23 to hit. In my mind, as a player sometimes, I'm like, oh, that means I really got them. And mm. that can mean that. But if you roll back a 1 for... For damage, it's like, well, what the fuck? How do I describe that? Yeah. And, the, and the DMs, when I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you found a tiny niche in their armor that your arrow grazed the skin and cut it just, and you see a thin line of red beneath there or in between their armor or something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, you hit it really well. You got a really hard shot and you made contact, but unfortunately, it was not a lot. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it gets... I know myself, I've said it before, I struggle in combat. I get really lost in combat. Um, so it's one of those things you have to really kind of take your time and like think about it. It's a, I feel like as D&D, we sometimes want the role playing so much that we kind of just like knock off the yeah. the fighting. It's like, no, nah, well, you hit it. It takes six points of damage. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> and that is where that flavor comes through. So I think in terms of kind of a good idea to practice with this is one look at how armor is built in terms of the game like how is it patched together no kind of the structure of it and you could probably find like fantasy or medieval armor designs that show they have pictures of it in the player's handbook yeah the monster manual look up your demon armor in the monster (laughs) i mean it exists in your phb if you ever have a player's handbook it it shows you it's okay it's not a forefront picture but in the background they show you what the different armor styles look like and so you as a DM and as the player, maybe they know the armor they're fighting against and they're like, oh, I aim for this area or I go for this. But one of the things you should try as a DM is, as they described here, it's their willingness to keep fighting or it's their constitutional will to try anything harder farther. So I might hit you really hard on the back and I might bludgeon you with a club and do that. Your back might be fine. I clearly didn't cripple you. You're still fighting. You still have half your HP left. But then that's where you describe not only the physical characteristics, but kind of the mental and emotional ones. How much more do you think you, the character, the NPC, the player, can take in their mind? And that's where you often get some DMs, and in previous editions, they'll say, oh, they're bloodied. Sometimes they don't have blood. I dare you to try to make a Marut bleed. Good luck with that. But... <laughs> Holy vey. Yeah. First it, of all, you got to get a hit on it. Yeah, yeah. And then and then the, this is the case of one of them. So it has an, a natural armor class of what? 22, 23? Yep, 22. So suppose you hit I mean, how, and you get a one you get a one damage. Oh, mm-hmm. you ding the side piece yeah. of its armor. <laughs> of its arm armor and it has like a pea size indentation in it now. Yeah. And then it unerringly slams you with a th- <laughs> 60 points of damage. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, that's why. So, it, it throws you through a few pillars and your lifeless <laughs> body hits yeah. the floor. So I think of it in terms of what monster are you throwing at your players? Mm-hmm. What Like a gelatinous cu- cube. A gelatinous cube doesn't bleed. But maybe you can take chunks of it off and you'll see maybe it's struggling to reform. Its ability to hold its physical shape. Or it's hesitating. It's starting to hesitate. Yeah. You could see maybe, one, it doesn't have eyes. So it's definitely not going to like look for an escape route because it can't look. 
but it's going you might see it hesitating to move you mm-hmm. might even see an npc like a guard or somebody they're gonna see they have low hp and if your party's pretty high they're gonna probably die in one spell but when you're looking at that maybe there's exhaustion in their face maybe they already went through a fight and you can see there's already blood spattered on their armor they're holding their sword loosely you can tell they're slow to the draw give your description of Okay, they're no longer moving as quickly to swing at you. That's where you use the hear. use the five senses type yeah. thing. Like, if, especially if you're trying to make a point, because maybe they need to keep this this guard alive to question him, and you have to really put in the labored breathing. He's gasping for breath. Mm-hmm. His is it's so labored in his breathing, or he smells of rust and feces. Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say like uh, what is it almonds like cyanide? Oh, um, pennies. Pennies. Blood. Okay, yeah. Like blood. You can smell the it's metal. Like, are we poisoning this man before? <laughs> you know we what? This? You don't know me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? You know, like do you want to take something from each of the senses and you can try and add it in there for flavor and description to not make battle boring. Battle should not be boring. It is not boring, but it's up to the DM to do that. And speaking as someone who's been a DM and I know Zach will back me up on this. It can be hard, and I understand. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, fuck, I didn't expect you to, like, try and battle this person. <laughs> like, your yours, if, if, if it came up to some of them, and knowing our parties that we've been with, someone would try and attack it. Yeah. And then it's like, fuck, I didn't want to attack it, but here we are. And no. now you as a DM have to try and, you know, mitigate this, however. And you can always add flavor to it. Mm-hmm. I think of it as... Combat will you you kind of rush through combat, especially the larger your table is, the oh more God. people you have, the more you're like you're on deck, get ready, get ready, get ready. You got thirty seconds. If not, I'm skipping you. You're you're stunned. You can't go this round. It's it's a lot. But you as a DM can slow it down to a leisurely pace enough for you to describe what's going on. Yeah. Combat is more engaging if you're not just writing and shouting numbers at each other. Describe the scenario, describe the exhaustion, describe the blood, the gore, if your table's up for it. Describe what you can so that something more memorable. They're going to remember their dice rolls when they roll a 20 or a 1. Your job is to make them remember the story. And it's one of those things, especially, I know this is like a really big side caveat and just go on this journey with me. So recently I had to go back after uh, Christmas break to school and we did deaf blind training, which was fantastic. It was so fun because we have some people coming with both deficiencies right Mm -hmm. right so um we're doing this and it's it's one of those you don't even think about how much you see and how much you hear until you're responsible for telling someone everything that you see and hear happening Mm -hmm. so remember that as a dm if you're building a world for your players to live in and they're in combat in it put them in combat in it you have to build the world for your players because in reality, if there's six of you at the table, all six of you are seeing something different unless you take the time to paint the picture. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, And if you paint a better picture, everyone will be on time with their spells. Everyone will be on time with their combat. Everyone will be engrossed in the, the battle because you're doing such a good job of narrating it. Exactly. Build the world you want to live in. Yeah. Be the change you want to see in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> live, laugh, love. <laughs> Uh, with that, I think it's probably time. 
thank you for listening to this long ass rant oh my gosh, about hit right? points and how we feel about explaining combat. Um, we appreciate you listening. And yeah, um, thanks to all of our new followers. We see you guys every day. Like so and so is following you, or if you're here for the podcast. But we appreciate you. Tell your friends. Um, yeah, we'll probably be looking towards a, another giveaway soon as we're approaching some high numbers. Yeah, like I, I, we, we say, it and people are like, "Oh, it's like, no." We truly appreciate everybody who follows us, likes something, um, shares, follows, whatever. Thank you so much for for listening to us. We appreciate it. And with that. Oh, uh, uh, no, wait, you can, if you don't know already, you can find us on all of our social medias, recently? uh, not because you keep cutting us off. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at sweet tea and D and D all one word. And we are at sweet tea and D and D dot simple dot com. And it's, and you can find us on Spotify and all of your podcasters of choice, sweet tea and D and D all separate words. Otherwise it won't come up. And if you have an issue with one of those or maybe your podcatcher doesn't use us or find us, let us know and we'll see if we can help you out with that. If not, you can always go to our website and download the MP3 file yourself. Show notes. Check out our show notes. We've got some extra notes in there. Particularly, you can find the creators of some of the items and text we talked about. Yes. And enjoy. Right. Bye. Bye.